Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. everybody and welcome back to puck university i'm your host tim williams joining you from down in the tampa bay area and joining us from up in the boston area chris lynch of insidehockey.com our new england correspondent this is going to be an interesting one because we talked about how many games last week were a chance for teams to either get back on track or just prove themselves and got a mixed set of results from that. And then, of course, there's a huge weekend coming up just in a couple of days. So we've got a lot to talk about this weekend. Chris, I think it's easiest to just start with it and rip off the Band-Aid. This was a terrible week for the Boston schools of Hockey East? I mean, particularly for uh, the ones with Boston in the name, uh, because at the very least, Northeastern played an excellent program in Union that I think some people were might have been underselling at the, um, uh, at the, at the uh, preseason ranking area. I think that uh, a lot of people looked at them as a uh, as an outside contender in the ECAC, and I think they're a real contender in the ECAC. After I was uh, at the Friday night game, which went to overtime between uh, uh, between the Dutchman and the Huskies, so at least uh, it was a five. It was uh, uh, overtime the first night, one goal for uh, Union, and a two goal three to one game the second night, also for Union. At the very least, those two games, close, narrowly contested, Union got the better bounces. What are you going to do? Sometimes good teams create good bounces for themselves. The yeah, that's I, I, I kind of want to go into that weekend a little bit for Northeastern because when you look at the score sheet, and I was following on Twitter through a lot of things, I didn't get to watch either of these games, but it really looks – like Northeastern was playing the kind of hockey that they're used to playing, the kind of hockey they want to play. Union's goaltenders did an excellent job, and the Dutchman just got the better of them in these two games. The overtime game sounds like it was a great game just in general. Oh, yeah. I mean, it looked like early on that Northeastern had the potential to completely blow out the Dutchman with one goal four minutes even into the game and the Northeastern power play clicking with Tyler Madden. If you want, if uh, Northeastern folk want someone to be really excited for, 
Tyler Madden looks like a guy who could slide into the power play unit and uh, work as a really quick shot and uh, be a really effective player off the bat. So I think he's your guy that you pay attention to. And then Brett Sapinski by himself, it felt like, tied up the game before the period got out. And one of those was a shorthanded goal that uh, in which they just caught the Northeastern power play completely asleep and Sapinski made a really good goaltender and really good, you know, uh, at least a talented defensive unit pay. I do. And I think Jeremy Davies was on the ice for that one as well. He's uh, he's the quarterback of that, of that power play from the blue line. So, and fairly even periods in the second and third, one power play goal for Northeastern in the second, one for Sebastian Vidmar, the Dutchman in the third, and then one critical mistake, a not getting a play going Northeastern's way 23 seconds in, and they don't get a save, and Union made, made them pay for a mistake. So I think you saw Northeastern with the talent, with the potential to really put on a good showing, but... Uh, Darian Hansen with 37 saves the first night and 31 saves the second night. So a really good goaltending performance by a sophomore goaltender who's trying to win a job. He may well have won himself his, this, this job. And it's a quality performance from, uh, from the Dutchman. So plenty to be happy about for them and plenty to at least for Northeastern for them to look at and say, you know, We've got room to grow, and we've got things that we can take away from this weekend with some positivity and acknowledge, okay, power play is going to be good. Uh, special teams, I mean, it's Jerry Keefe running the show. It's always going to be a good special teams unit. So I think there's plenty to look at that at this weekend from a Northeastern perspective and be positive about, not happy about, but positive about which you can't say for either of the other two Boston schools that played this weekend. Yeah, and as someone who really wants Northeastern to do well, I'm mostly positive about last weekend. We'll get into it later in the show. There's one reason that this gives me a little pause, but we'll get into that later when we preview this weekend's action. But you mentioned it was a terrible weekend for the schools with Boston in their names. We talked about it last week. Boston College really needed this win against Quinnipiac, and they didn't get it. They're still winless. They haven't won outside of their conference in years now. They're just struggling, and now they're in a must-win situation coming up. We'll talk about them later on in the show as well but they've really put their backs to the wall early on in the season. Yeah. To put an exact day on it for, uh, for, for BC, their last non-conference game in which they won was November the 13th, a Sunday against Arizona state at home at Conti form, a three to one victory. Their last non-conference Road victory was in that same season. So this is in October of 2016, an 8-5 to victory in Madison over the Wisconsin Badgers. We're going on two years of them not getting an out-of-conference victory. They went all of last year without winning 
outside of Hockey East, and they did not put on a particularly inspiring performance against the Bobcats, a team that is a really good defensive unit. And if you fall behind them, their only goal that they gave up, it was a one nothing loss for the Eagles on Friday night in Hamden. And it was a five-on-three goal that they gave up to Chase Prisky, which was the only score of the night. And Quinnipiac outshot BC 7-3 to three in the first period. BC, in a game they desperately needed, got three shots on goal, and they get the great opportunity to face the St. Cloud State Huskies on Thursday night tomorrow. And this has the potential of being a truly awful go for uh, for the Eagles. They've they've not fallen to zero and three for I think it's the first time it's the first time in a while for them that they've fallen to zero and three to out of the gates. Um, I think in at least a decade for them. So I th- I really do think that BC could be in for uh, for some for some real trouble right here. Yeah, that's a rough for BC. They needed that win. They needed an out-of-conference win before this St. Cloud State game because the last thing you need right now is to have to beat St. Cloud State. We're going to talk about them a lot this weekend and in this show. So prepare for that later on a lot about teams named the Huskies, especially St. Cloud State. But you were at the you were at Lawler Arena. We've talked about this a lot on Puck University that teams just have trouble, especially BU, going into Lawler Arena and getting a win. It's it's almost becoming a test of metal in Hockey East. Can you win a game on a Saturday night at Lawler Arena? It's a tough place. It's tight. It's really cramped. The fans are right on top of you. And to give a lot of credit, Merrimack fans, they show up. And to also give a lot of credit to Scott Borick, the new head coach of the Warriors, he said after the game, the idea for them was empty the tank and play as hard as they possibly could have. And to their unending credit, Merrimack did. They played a relentless physical game. They made a team that, yeah, the Terriers do have, um, they do have some real veteran presence in Bobo Carpenter, who was really disappointing, Dante Fabro, who was really disappointing, um, Chad Chris and Shane Bowers, who've been through wars and they were really disappointing. But there's a plenty of young pieces on this Terrier team that uh, they're going to have to make big pieces like Joel Farabee. Uh, Matthew, uh, uh, Matthew Garcia. I'm sorry for missing that pronunciation. If I did Jack DeBoer and Jake wise, there's a lot of young pieces that they have to make a big part of the team. And they didn't play a good enough physical style of game. And I mean, it helps when Merrimack's goalie, Craig Pantano puts up a 34 save effort in, uh, in a shutout performance, but BU just looked terrible for large stretches of the game, particularly the second period. After they had a power play early on in the second period, it felt like BU shrank. 
So that was a terrible game for them, especially after some positive showings against the Mavericks up in Mankato. And to be fair to them, and to a certain extent, to be fair to BC as well, neither of them have had home games yet. So I want to see what they can do when your schedule settles down a little bit, when you're not going all over the place. But that's a bad loss, especially against a team like Merrimack that BU, on paper at least, is a better team than the Warriors. So that's a bad showing for uh, for BU, and they, they should be concerned uh, about the fact that they are in uh, in their first 0-3 season, uh, 0-3 start to a season since the 2008 campaign, which uh, that's a bad sign for BU. Yeah, let's let's just give you the tail of the tape, folks. The three Boston schools in Hockey East combine for two wins. Those are both from Northeastern. They were against Sacred Heart. Every other game that any of these schools played has been a loss. So there are some positives to take out of it from this weekend for Northeastern. There were some last weekend for BU. But this is, as you mentioned earlier, an awful showing for these three schools to start out like this. And there are two questions that come to mind after looking at last weekend's results throughout all the hockey schools, but especially the Boston ones. All right, which of these schools, which of the three is closest to hitting the panic button right now after this start? BC. Because this is a long-term trend that the Eagles have struggled with. I mean, even that year in which uh, in which they had a really good, uh, they had wins against Wisconsin, Denver, and uh, and Arizona State as their out-of-conference victories. In those, even in that year, they showed some signs of struggling outside of hockey's play. And then all of last season. They couldn't win out of conference. And both of those years, if they would have won one of those, one more out of conference game, they probably would have been in the NCAA tournament. So you're looking at a position where there's a set trend, a verified, this is a problem trend, and you can't break it in the third year of this being a trend. I think BC is the closest to it because BU, at the very least, can say that they lost a tight conference game and uh, against Merrimack, which is a school that's given a lot of people some problems when they go to North Andover. And at the very least, they can say that they were close in their other two games. And Northeastern, you can look at them and say that, you know, we got our two wins, which we should have, and then it's an acceptable loss against Union. It's never one that you're happy about, but it's one that you look at and say, you know, Union's pretty good, and that's going to happen sometimes. BC, this is a long-term trend that the other two programs don't have to deal with. So I'm pushing that panic button if I'm the Eagles right now. I, I'd agree with that. And then zooming out a little bit and looking at Hockey East, let me just give you a list of the Hockey East teams that won games in the last week. Providence waxed Connecticut 7-2 in Providence, so they took care of business at home in a conference game and just looked really good. Massachusetts Amherst 
Well, we have to talk about this. Six to three over Ohio State. They split on the road with what was the number te- number one team in the country. This was, you've talked about UMass. You've talked about how good they are. And this was them at their best. Oh, yeah. Uh, that Saturday night game, for one, Matt Murray with a 35-save effort against a really wicked talented team. And UMass got outshot 38-27 to 27 for that game in Columbus. And they came up with uh, they came up with a convincing victory. Ad- admittedly, it does look a little bit bigger on the scoreboard than it might because the last UMass goal was an empty netter that came at the sixteen fifty six mark, so three oh four left in the game, which signifies that Ohio State was uh, getting a bit aggressive and getting a bit desperate, uh, maybe pulling the goalie a little bit early. But uh, you know, stuff happens. But what I liked about us, uh, I got to see uh, some of the highlights from uh, from this game. What I really liked about it is that it's not a three-person show. My preview for UMass was focusing in on John Leonard, who was the leading scorer on the forward line, Mario Ferraro, uh, one of the best blue liners in the conference, and Kiel McCarr, who could probably be a top blue liner in the American Hockey League today, and with a little bit more strength, he'd be a National Hockey League player. McCarr had two assists on the game and had the empty net goal to seal everything up, so three points on the game. But Brett Boeing with a really good showing, Philip Laganov with a really good showing, Nico Hildenbrand with a really good showing, and Bobby Trevingo with, uh, in essence, the game-winning goal for uh, for the Minutemen. So they have some real depth, and they have a goaltender who's taken that job in Matt Murray and made it his. UMass is a force to be reckoned with, and they probably should be a little bit higher up in the rankings than 16th, which is outside the USA Today poll and on the USCHO poll. I think that UMass should be getting a little bit more love, but uh, they'll have opportunities to earn more of it as their season goes along. And also with the hockey schools, Lowell split at Miami. They looked pretty good against Miami. Yeah, I mean, they they had an interesting showing against RIT the week prior, but I still have some questions about how, uh, uh, how Norm Bazin's squad adjusts because I talked to some of the guys around that program, and in their words, they didn't, for last year at least, they didn't get over to the shock over the shock of losing to Notre Dame in the regional final in Manchester in the in the 2017 regional, and they struggled to get beyond it. They really really struggled to get past it. But Tyler Wall looks like he's bounced back. He had a real slump last year. Put up a 36 save shutout performance at the Goggin Ice Center, which. I've been told is a really nice building and uh, I've seen off some of the photos. It's a really nice building. And I've been told that those Red Hawk fans can get on top of you. So definitely some positive showings for Lowell. I mean, even with the, the two third period goals that they surrendered wall still came up with a 30 save effort and the Red Hawks outshot the river Hawks. So 
definitely some positive signs to take away for the uh, two University of Massachusetts schools. Uh, I think I might annoy some uh, UMass Amherst people by uh, saying it that way, but they're both in the University of Massachusetts system, so that's what I'm going to go with to refer to them. Yeah, it, it it gets hard to refer to those two teams together. I I usually just go with the name of their campus, Amherst and Lowell, just out of respect to until this year, UMass Lowell had had the better of the action, so it was kind of hard to call the school that was at the bottom of Hockey East UMass and then specify for Lowell. So it's good to see both of those schools on the on the positive side. As for the rest of Hockey East, we already mentioned the Boston schools. Merrimack got that win. They looked pretty good in that win. New Hampshire split with Colorado, or New Hampshire got one point in the weekend over, or with Colorado College, who looked pretty good themselves at home. We've mentioned that they're on the rise. New Hampshire put up a fight, but they only took one point away from their road trip. And I think some good things for them to take away ultimately, which is that Max Gilden and Benton Maz are two high caliber, high quality uh, players in hockey. East. They're two high caliber defenders, but you need to build a little bit more than just, uh, just have the two defenders. And they're, I think they might be struggling to have a goaltender like Danny Taroni, who was outstanding for four years as pretty much the the four-year starter for UNH and didn't get a lot of help up front but dragged the Wildcats to wins for pretty much his entire career in Durham. I wonder if uh, they're just struggling to come up with a goaltender who uh, can get them them through with, uh, with this talent. So They've got they they have Vermont over the weekend for their season to start turning around. So I'm curious to see what uh, Dave Souza can do with this unit. Again, it's a team that probably should be built somewhat similar to UMass Amherst from the blue line up, and uh, should be built on the back of uh, Gildan and Maz in the way that Amherst is built on Makar and Ferraro, but. I think that there's there's work to do for New Hampshire, but I don't think this is quite the season where they return to the top tier of Hockey East. I do think they get there under Sousa, though. Where I'm going with all these deliberate Hockey East results is we've been talking in the last couple of years about down years for Hockey East or Hockey East being wide open, as I like to say, because it is a lot of fun that there's a sort of parody coming into Hockey East. But it's undeniable that it's not the conference that could send, I believe at one point it sent five or six teams to the NCAA tournament and was a sort of dominant conference. I don't think it's the best conference in the East anymore. I have a question written in my notes. Has the ECAC eclipsed Hockey East as the East's best conference? I guess I should reword that to when did the ECAC eclipse Hockey East as the East's best conference? Well, um, keep in mind that this decade already, we've had two, we had back-to-back 
ECAC national champions in Yale in 2013, which admittedly they were kind of a Cinderella story. And I think some people might write that year off as a fluke, a uh, hot run year for the Bulldogs. But uh, the the other run in 2014 by Union was absolutely not a fluke. And they've consistently sent teams to uh, to the tournament. And to answer your question, in the 2016 season, Hockey East sent six teams to the national tournament. Notre Dame, when they were still a member of the conference, Northeastern, U Lowell, BU, BC, and Providence were uh, were the teams. the The answer for when the ECAC jumped Hockey East is when, first off, two of the Ivy League uh, ancient powers in Harvard and Cornell became big time forces and then Princeton decided that they were going to have an offense that could shoot you down. Now it should be noted that we're factoring in team that uh, thought is factoring in teams that haven't played a game yet in Harvard, Cornell and Quinnipiac, excuse me, Harvard, uh, Cornell and Princeton. Sorry. But um, in part old powers uh, rose again in those Ivy League schools, Clarkson became really competitive again, and Union has been a standard bearer for a while now. Uh, really, for the entire decade, the Dutchmen have been a big time force under Rick Bennett. Um, for um, on, originally under Nate Lehman, who he won his Penrose while coaching the Dutchmen, and then Rick Bennett picked right up where he left off. So it's a mix of unexpected powers from a really small school at Union College, and then old-time Ivy League powers becoming big players again. And I'm starting to wonder if this is just the new norm, if maybe it's time to stop expecting that Hockey East is just going to rise back to prominence any day now, because that seems to have been the expectation around college hockey in both of these supposed down years, these last three, really. And it's, I, I just don't see it. I, I, of course, the top schools, again, Providence looked incredible in their win over Connecticut, who's not a bad team at all. And you've got plenty of good schools in there and good programs in there. So it's not that Hockey East has fallen off the cliff, but I think it's time to just stop looking at Hockey East as it's just going to come back to prominence i think this is about where it's going to be for a while because there's so much of a spread in talent in college hockey that we've never really seen before and it's opening things up so it's opening things up for the ivies it's opening things up for the other ecac schools and of course for the western schools as well well i mean if you want some if you want to temper the expectations for Providence, which uh, I'll play devil's advocate, sure, they looked incredible against against UConn winning 7-2 over Mike Kavanaugh's squad. But then they went to Sacred Heart, which is absolutely a team that Providence is better than. They had a 2-2 tie over Sacred Heart, which no offense to the pioneers there in uh, in the Fairfield area of Connecticut, but that is a team that Providence should be winning games against so uh i think it might be i think it's a transition point between a time when bu bc ran the show 
in uh, in Hockey East to a point where Lowell became a dominant power. To I, there's a lot more competition within the conference itself. For one thing, there isn't that dominant force guiding the uh, guiding the conference. I mean, the last two national champion, uh, the last two conference championship games have featured BU and BC respectively, with BU winning last year. But it's a lot more competitive by and large. Providence has become a bigger factor with that national championship win in 2015, which, by the way, it wasn't that long ago that the national championship game was hosted by Hockey East and featured Providence and BU. So just remember how quickly things can change on a dime in this sport that uh, you go from being literally on top of the, on top of the world in the sport to we're reworking the uh, expectations a bit. I think that Amherst will be a team that contends. And I think that uh, Lowell can put up some noise. And I think that BU and BC have just underperformed to their own expectations. So part of me still wants to say, calm down. The conference will be okay. But I totally see the reason for concern if you're a Hockey East supporter, as admittedly we both are. Well, I think I'm with you on this. It's not so much concern as just recalibrating the expectations where it almost seemed like the Hockey East Championship was for a de facto berth in the in the Frozen Four. Now it's just more open. It's just a little more wide open, and that includes Hockey East. You mentioned all these programs that hadn't been – considered national powers that now you've got Providence that has a national championship, a recent one to its name. You have, and of course, BU and BC haven't gone away. And then there's Northeastern who's suddenly recruiting like they're, well, like they don't have Northeastern's history anymore. And Jim Madigan's done a wonderful job with that program as I've discussed ad nauseum. So it's a more open hockey East, which you know, that means there's, it's hard to have a dominant team and that's better for the sport overall. Remember, that's what parody looks like. You don't have teams that run with dynasties and run these ridiculous scores up anymore because it's a little more wide open because suddenly UMass Amherst is recruiting some of these incredible players like Kale McCarr. It's better for the sport, though I totally understand the appeal of a dynasty because for those fans of the dynasty program, you run the show. And and also, there is something to be said for an appreciation for, for greatness and dominance because it's that sense of uh, admiring someone who's at the top of their craft and at the top of uh, – at the top of what they're doing. I think there are people who make this argument regarding um, uh, regarding the way of the National Hockey League in the 1980s of, of admiring and marveling at the accomplishments of the Islanders and the Oilers, for example, or for admiring the accomplishments of Boston University in the 70s when they won three national championships that decade and dominated the frozen four in appearances i think they went to 
like seven, uh, like seven of the frozen fours that were contested in that decade. There's certainly something to be said for admiration of dominance and greatness, but it probably is better that more people feel like they have a shot. And right now, more people feel like they have a shot in college hockey, maybe, I think, than we've had in a long time. And it's not like these hockey schools are uh, are poor teams in their own right nowadays. It's just that the task is harder. I mean, in part, BC and BU have put themselves in bad positions, particularly with the Huskies of St. Cloud coming to Connie Forum tomorrow and with the Providence College Friars going to BU on Friday night. So that's just their own fault of shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah, we're going to get into it this weekend. It's it's going to be a tough weekend for those schools and for Northeastern, who also has to play St. Cloud State and now kind of needs that win after the way they've played. They didn't, they played well against Union, but they didn't get a win. And you just have to get some space, especially with those two rivals stumbling out of the gate. It would be nice to see Northeastern gain a few extra points. And that's going to be tough against a St. Cloud State team that looks like one of the best teams in the country. If you go to the rankings, the rankings have been shaken up because Ohio State lost to Mass Amherst in that great game Friday night. Of course, they did win Saturday in another really good game and looked good in doing so. So they've only slipped a fourth in the USCHO poll. Notre Dame, your new number one. I don't think there's any real argument about that. They've looked really good. And then St. Cloud State is now the number two team in the nation. And when we get into what comes up next weekend, St. Cloud State, it's a tough road for them too, because now they're playing two teams that are really hungry. Well, you hope that they come out and play like they're really hungry because BC was supposed to be hungry against Quinnipiac and got three shots on goal in the first period and fell behind and never regained the lead. And uh, and St. Cloud, to their unending credit, they handled their business at home against Northern Michigan, which is a team that played for the WCHA championship last year. And we both, I still argue correctly, uh, would have liked to have seen them in the NCAA tournament if uh, we could reshape the pairwise a little bit and uh, get these guys in just to get some more WCHA representation. But you, know, you can only get so much, uh, so much that you could possibly uh, look for. But St. Cloud, it's a full cast. It's uh, it's uh, it's Jimmy Schultz again, who's uh, who's an important piece. But Kevin Fitzgerald and Jacob Benson. It's a deeper team than uh, than what you've had so far. I think the most uh, that they've allowed for other teams scoring on them is two so far. And iron- and interestingly, both of those were against Alaska Fairbanks. In fact, I think the only time that they have trailed at all this season was against Alaska Fairbanks. They were down one nothing early in the first game before winning 3-2. They were down 2-1 against Fairbanks in the second period before they won six to two so it's a dominant force that saint cloud has and it should be a hungry and competitive bc team and if it isn't 
then push the panic button or uh, or push the we're uh, in deeper trouble because if you can't get up for that game, then there's something wrong going there. Yeah, I was about to say what comes after the panic button, but I think what comes after the panic button is the eject button, and that doesn't happen. That's not that's not something that we can even talk about with Boston College. So I, I don't know what they do if they don't come out and at least give a fight to St. Cloud State, and really, as tough as this is going to be, BC needs to beat St. Cloud State because of the position they've put themselves in. If they're going to be where they expect to be every year because that's the expectation that's made Jerry York who he is, if they're going to be that team, they have to win that game Thursday night, and that's no small task. They've got their work cut out for them now. I mean, Joe Wool is going to have to pull a remarkable performance in net, which he's fully capable of. Logan Hutsko is fully capable of putting on a good scoring performance. J.D. Dudek is capable of all the stuff. Jacob Tor- Tortora is capable of coming up with big performances. It's not like BC is not capable of playing excellent hockey and winning against an excellent hockey team. They have the talent for which they are absolutely capable of doing it. They just need to do it. I mean, um, for whatever it's worth in the rankings, BC and BU fell out of the uh, fell out of the USCHO poll, and for the first time in what must be at least a decade, they're in the others receiving votes category. BC at seventy five; they're the first team uh, sitting outside of, of the top twenty in the USCHO. BC has eighteen votes, just ahead of Harvard, who hasn't played a game yet so far. It's not like North, it's not like BC is incapable of it. They're just. Uh, you know, it's uh, they just haven't put it all together yet. I'm not sure if the Saturday night game against Northeastern is more important for the Huskies than BC's game is, but definitely an important meeting at Matthews between uh, between the two sets of Huskies. I think. Yeah, that I think Northeastern's bigger game this weekend for as as far as a game they have to win. I think they really need those points against UMass Lowell at Songus Arena, and that's tough too. That's as we mentioned, Norm Bazin's team looked pretty good last weekend, and now they're going to be at home. That's a tough place to win, even when they're not right. So that that's going to be tough for Northeastern too. That's Friday night, and I think they need a win there because they're going to be at home against St. Cloud State, and I don't think they really. It's not necessarily a must win, but it would be a really good place to show, as we discussed last week, if they're looking to prove that they're not really going to drop off that much, even after losing all these great scorers and losing that incredible top line last year to to really to the NHL, to pro hockey. If they're not going to drop off that much, they kind of need to at least give a good game to the number two team in the country when they come into Matthews arena. But I think the game they need more is they need to, they need to get those points at Songus arena. Fair analysis and best of luck, but for at least the hockey East uh, slate of things, how big is that Providence BU battle? Uh, 7:30 on Friday night. Cause that might be 
That might be a uh, season-defining uh, game, which is weird to say in October. And I don't want to come off as being too dramatic, but uh, BU is going to unfurl their banner for winning the Hockey East Tournament last year against the team they beat in the conference championship game. And I'm sure that Providence would, uh, w- wouldn't would mind getting the opportunity to stick it to the Terriers and uh, getting to put in place the fact that Providence is going to be a national contender for uh, for the season. And that's a great opportunity for the Friars to show their talent against BU and, may- and maybe an even bigger opportunity for the Terriers to show that as they did last year, they are perfectly capable of turning around after a poor start. Yeah, that could be a good game for for BU if they if they can at least give a good fight to Providence because Providence they look pretty good. They they did stumble a little bit with Sacred Heart, so you have to think that with BU's talent, they should be able to give Providence a game and a win against Providence could pr- you know, it's really how you get off the mat when you lose because no one goes undefeated in the college hockey season on this side. It's just, it, it doesn't happen. So you're going to lose games. Sometimes it's going to be games that you really should win, like BU going on the road to Merrimack and getting beat. But it's how you get off the mat, and especially with a new coach and maybe a bit of a new attitude for BU, this would be a good time to show that they can rebound and they're going to need to do that throughout this season because they don't have an easy schedule either. Yeah, but switching uh, focus a little bit, I think the game, the other game that I'm really interested in, it's still in the East, but Harvard and Dartmouth are playing. And for one, that signals the start of Ivy League hockey, which means we're now into the full swing of the college hockey season because everyone is going to be playing now. And two, those two teams, the Crimson and the Big Green, are really fascinating units because Dartmouth is a popular upset pick at, at, by me as well. And uh, and Harvard, I still think, even without Ryan Donato has and, and without Merrick Madsen, I look at the Crimson and I think, that team has at least the potential to be a real contender in the ECAC again, which we're going on three, four, five years almost of the Crimson being a big time ECAC and potentially national contender. So that's the other game I look at with a huge amount of intrigue. Absolutely. It'll be a great weekend for, for, college hockey just to see those ivies back in action and to see one emerging in dartmouth who's a program on the rise so they can prove it against harvard and harvard can a tough win and show that they're going to be in the mix yet again because they have a great program it's not one person in any college sport when you get to the team sport level to get to the highest level, you have to be a full program, and Harvard really is. They've come a long way under Ted Donato, and they're going to stay around. I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the ECAC, and so's Dartmouth for that matter. So that's going to be a great game coming up, 
And just putting a bow on last week's action, we didn't get out west at all. And there were some great weekends out west, some really good games. In fact, I'd say most of the really good games this week, the fun ones to watch, happened out west. You've got a split between Mankato and North Dakota and a fun one at that. Yeah, so uh, my editor with with Inside Hockey, his name is uh, Eric Burton. Uh, search him up on Twitter, Eric Burton, and uh, he's uh, he's a North Dakota alum, and he was there for the whole weekend. Which, side note, before talking about the game, Mankato's new uniforms are beautiful, and I love them. Uh, so for they might be my favorite uniforms in all of college hockey. The crisp whites with the cursive, they're they're perfection. So that's just a uh, that's just a little bit of a sidebar thing, but yeah. Uh, maybe there's some concern as well for, uh, for North Dakota. They're one and two, one, two and one so far, especially after a poor performance against Bemidji state the week prior, but man, I was wrong about Minnesota state Mankato, not being a, uh, not being quite as good this year as they were last. Cause they look like a real contender. They can, they can play big boy beat you up hockey, but they can play with some speed too. So that's a fun Maverick team to pay attention to in the WCHA for the remainder of the year, I think. And then Michigan and Western Michigan traded haymakers over the weekend. You've got 6-5 and 5-4. They split with the home teams winning both nights in the home and home. Now, Western went on to lose last night. We're recording this on a Wednesday. They lost on Tuesday night at Bowling Green, who's also a good program in their own right. But how about that weekend where they split with Michigan 6-5-5-4? That's a fun set of hockey games. So I was following the 6-5 game while I was at BU. I was talking to a guy who's currently on the beat for uh, for the Daily Free Press, which is the student paper at uh, at BU. And in his estimation, he thinks that Michigan is possibly the most overrated program right now. There's some really great individual talent in Quinn Hughes, and but there's uh, he feels that the uh, the Michigan team is a little bit on the overrated side of things because. That was a 27-shot effort by Western Michigan, and they got five goals out of it. The only reason uh, it ended up being as uh, a Michigan victory really is because the Wolverines can go to that offensive talent and dominate people with just real skill. Jake Slacker, Will Lockwood, Joe Ciccone, you know, you, they can go to an offensive well, but they need Hayden Levine to not give up five goals on 27 shots. Admittedly, some of those were difficult uh, saves to make, but some of those you need to have. So uh, so I think there might be some concern to be had on the Michigan side of things. And Western, Western's in an interesting position because they're in the NCHC and all of their games in that conference are going to be absolutely brutal. And I don't know if they can quite keep up with the top tier performers like uh, uh, like St. Cloud uh, and uh, like Denver in that conference. So I think there's some questions to be raised about both of them, but at least they gave us some fun hockey to raise those questions, right? 
and you mentioned Hayden Levine. It's it's funny how quickly goaltending comes and it goes in well, really in all levels of hockey, how a goaltender can just have it, lose it, and then get it back. We were talking about Lowell earlier, and they have Tyler Wall in net who can be very good, but last year coming off of a great 2017 season, last season he just kind of lost it. And then he had a great, great weekend last weekend. And suddenly, if he does well, the River Hawks are going to be right back in the Hockey East conversation. And then you have over at Michigan, Hayden Levine, who did some great work last year in Michigan's really good season and is struggling right now. You hope he can get it back sooner rather than later. I mean, you hope he does. I mean, and you do acknowledge the fact that you can lean on a really talented offensive unit and can almost bulldoze your way through to get some wins, but you absolutely cannot lean on. Uh, you can't lean on your offense to bail you out of every situation. I mean, case in point, I think, was uh, Friday night in a series we talked about earlier between uh, the Mavericks and uh, North Dakota, in which they played two goaltenders, Peter Tome, who saw 10 shots and gave up four goals, and Adam Scheel, who saw 10 shots and gave up two goals. At some point, you need your backstop in order to uh, to make a save in order to get a victory. And and North Dakota in that game, that uh, seven to four loss, outshot the Mavericks thirty eight to twenty one. And while I'm sure it's a performance that Dryden McKay would look back on and say he'd like a few of those back, it was at least a high quality performance. Meanwhile, neither Tome nor Shield got more than eight saves shield recorded eight saves tone recorded six that's really bad i mean hayden levine i shouldn't malign him and throw in uh throw his performance into that caliber he did uh he did get the win and he did come up with the saves when he needed to but you need your goaltender to come up with some wins and uh I just wonder if we're in a bit of a transition point for some of the bigger programs like Michigan, North Dakota, who um, Michigan is uh, in a test of staying power to see if last year can be more than just the one run. And North Dakota is in a test of long-term staying power to see if they can continue to contend, especially after they missed the NCAA tournament last year. I think both those programs are in interesting positions right now. I'll throw in another Denver. Because I think the most surprising result of the weekend anywhere in the country was on Saturday night at Magnus Arena, Alaska, the Nanooks from Fairbanks tied Denver. They went to Denver and got a tie. Now, they lost on Friday night. Denver won 4-1 to one in what looked more like what you'd expect out of Denver and what you'd expect out of Alaska. But a 3-3 three to three tie on Saturday, it's a good job by the Nanooks, but oh boy, Denver, that, that's a tough one to take. And what's even weirder about that 3-3 three to three game, the first two periods, Denver looked truly pathetic. Four shots in the first period, they got outshot 10-4. Eight in the second, they got outshot 11-8. to eight. 
The third period, they turned it on and shut the Nanooks down. They outshot them 13-1. to The first three goals of the game belonged to the Nanooks. Kyler Hope uh, at the about the halfway mark. Uh, Riker Lear about a power play about 14-30 into the, into the first. They got the third goal on another power play early on in the second. Jared Lucas Savages, who, yes, is still a pioneer, and yes, was the most outstanding player of the Frozen Four a few years back with the hat trick in the title game, got his second of the year. And then Denver didn't score again until two minutes and then under one minute remained with extra attackers. They needed extra attackers to overcome a really poor start. And I think you got to have some questions about it. Maybe it was just a bad game, which is totally possible. I mean, teams just have bad nights sometimes. But David Carl has got to have some uh, some questions that his team needs to answer right now because you can't have a performance like that at home and uh, and feel any bit positive or happy about it. You got a tie out of a game in which, being real, you should have won. So. Yeah, uh, throw Denver on the list of programs, established veteran programs in a weird position. And it doesn't get a whole lot e- easier for Denver. They're at home against Western Michigan. They need to win these games. And that's tough to say against a Western Michigan team that's still ranked. They've proven they can still do some things. They gave Michigan a good fight over last weekend. Of course, again, they're it's a brutal schedule for Western. They're playing, it seems like every day almost, but Friday and Saturday, I think Denver needs those wins to just get back on track after what was a strange weekend against Alaska. I mean, they're NCHC schools. And after you get done with the non-conference play, you have to deal with the gauntlet in, uh, in the octagon as uh, we might want to refer to, this conference, which is a super conference. So it's a weird position for Denver to be in. And uh, it's, it's part of a, an upcoming schedule, which I think we've missed the headliner really, because the headline game for me, at least Friday night in South Bend, Indiana, Minnesota, Duluth, Notre Dame. I think that's the game you circle on your calendar with. And then they play the next day in the afternoon at 5.05. Those are the two games that you circle on your calendar with the uh, – with the. that's the number one in three teams meeting in a rematch of uh, the national championship games uh, game from this past, uh, this past April. Yeah, that's going to be the game of the weekend and then the second game of the weekend. That's a great weekend of out-of-conference play. Notre Dame – hosting Minnesota Duluth. These are both teams that, again, they played for the national championship last year. We've talked about Notre Dame is back on track. They look good. Minnesota Duluth looks very good. Number one versus number three. You're right. It's absolutely the headliner. It's the thing we should have been talking about from the jump. But we had to see who was pressing the panic button in Hockey East first. But, wow, that's a great headliner for the weekend. I mean, keep in mind that uh, we have our natural biases because we, I think it's fair to say, grew up in Hockey East as uh, not only hockey fans, but as 
I think I'd say in my my case, certainly uh, as as a reporter, I grew up uh, really around college hockey stuff, and I'd still say I'm in that kind of developing phase. But it's an interesting matchup for Notre Dame and Duluth, in part because they come at it with, I think, slightly different approaches. With Notre Dame currently being the third best offensive team, only behind Bowling Green and Penn State, because. You know, it's a it's a shooting gallery in Happy Valley again, and and in other news, the the sky is blue, so you know no, nothing new nothing new uh, going on here. But uh, Duluth is a bit more of a defensive unit. Their leading score is uh, their their leading score is a defenseman in Scott Perunovic. He only has one goal, but has nine assists, and. Uh, they're about 20th for uh, for goals allowed per game, and they've got the potential to knock that down even further, I think, as they uh, as they get a bit deeper into the schedule. They're just for contrast to styles and for the type of personnel that they bring to the ice. I think this is a really interesting um, – I think this is a really, really interesting matchup to, uh, to take a look at. And then – we talked about the Ivies getting underway this weekend. Princeton has what should be the most fun game. They're in Happy Valley playing Penn State, 13 versus number 10. This is a great way to start for Princeton. They're going to get their they're going to sharpen their teeth against a really good Penn State team. And you mentioned that Penn State offense is what we expected it would be, what it always has been. And that Princeton offense should be able to match it. So uh, I kind of feel bad for uh, for whoever gets the jobs uh, uh, in net Ryan Furland for, uh, for Princeton and Peyton Jones for Penn State because they're going to see a lot of rubber thrown at them and I mean, it would be hilarious if we ended up seeing the complete opposite kind of game in which uh, the either the goalies put up a magnificent performance and we get a 2-1 or 3-2 game, or if we get a low-scoring, low-shooting kind of affair. I, I think that would be hilarious to see, but I kind of expect it to be high shot, high score for just fun effect. And then also for your continued meme on the podcast, Poor Sparty going to Ithaca to open up the Cornell season because uh, that's really what Michigan State needed was a bigger challenge against uh, against a team that should have national championship aspirations in the Big Red. That that's rough. That that's rough even for uh, yeah. Poor Sparty. They're they're on the road two games at Cornell to start Cornell's season and. That's kind of the opposite of you, you've got Princeton playing Penn State where they're going to get thrown right into the fire, and then you've got Cornell at home against Michigan State, a team that they actually might be on the rise in East Lansing, but that's a team that Cornell should beat and beat handily and do it twice. I mean, college hockey is weird, and there's certainly the potential that uh, something strange might end up happening, and and, you know— it's not like Michigan State doesn't have uh, some good players and doesn't have the potential to uh, to spark something of an upset. I've even seen some people floating that Sparty could uh, uh, could could 
put some uh, put some surprises on. They split with Northern Michigan over the weekend, 4-2 and 4-3 in East Lansing. So at the very least, I think they'll put up a fight against uh, Cornell. But yeah, these are two games that the Big Red should win. I won't go as far as to say win handily, but they should win. It'll be a fight against the Spartans, though, to be sure. And while we're talking about anticipated matchups this weekend, we've mentioned our love of the college hockey rivalries and some of the ones that are almost unique to hockey. And one of them, well, it's kind of a weird one, but it's one of the great college hockey rivalries finally renewed. One of the also sad casualties of the realignment Minnesota and North to finally get back together. They do it in Las Vegas, but it's Minnesota and North Dakota in the T-Mobile arena on Saturday night. You know what? Sure. Uh, that's, uh, you know, you know that these teams are going to travel. You know that these programs are going to travel and, uh, I think they they have had fairly regular meetings against each other. Uh, they did play. I think they did play last season, but uh, uh, but they don't play every single year because they're not in the WCHA anymore. Which that is the real tragedy and the big casualty of uh, the realignment that happened in 2013, which is that the WCHA lost a giant amount of history. I mean, I'm sure that CCHA people will argue that uh, that theirs, their conference is the bigger tragedy because the CCHA doesn't exist anymore. And, and fair point. I, I think you've got to point out that now Alabama Huntsville has to be in a conference with the Alaska schools. I, I don't know if anyone's quite angrier about the realignment than they are. But yeah, I, I think you you have a point. Yeah, I mean, I would still argue that the WCHA, for all of our promotion of the hockey of hockey East as being for a long time the best conference in college hockey, the WCHA was the driving force of of this sport for a long, 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 long time. With Gopher with with Gopher hockey being great, with North Dakota hockey being great, with Minnesota Duluth coming up and being a magnificent force, with Denver being a big power with one year, the WCHA in 2005, the frozen four was held in Columbus and all four participating schools were from the WCHA. So to lose that kind of dominance is a real tragedy and is one of the, one of the saddest, I would argue the saddest things that happened in, uh, in realignment, but at the very least, the two programs are still in pretty good positions. I mean, Minnesota, the first year out of the WCHA, played in the national championship game against Union and lost, but they were there. And North Dakota went to three consecutive Frozen Fours after uh, they joined the NCHC and won a national title in 2016. The programs are still excellent and still have long-term staying power. And that rivalry, wherever it's played, it's a fun time. And it's... If uh, the one and three teams weren't playing this weekend, that would be the uh, premier matchup just on history alone. But, you know, it's still one of the ones to pay attention to. And we talked quite a bit about this weekend already for St. Cloud State, but 
this is this is going to be an interesting weekend for the number two team in the country as well because we mentioned how much BC needs that win, and that's still a good Northeastern team, and they're going to be at Matthews a weekend after Northeastern took a frustrating two losses where they played well, but they didn't get any points against Union. So that's a cloud state too. They have to be on their toes. They are, of course, the clear favorite in both of those games, but that's going to be, that's going to be a prove your metal kind of weekend for the Huskies. Agreed. Uh, it's one where also you're going to have to show that you can go on the road because it's not like Connie Form and Matthews Arena are easy places to go and play even when the opposition is is uh, not having the greatest start. You know, this is um, – it's a prove your – you're right on your description. It's a prove your medal weekend. It's a uh, prove that you belong here and prove that, uh, um, you know, prove that you can – be worthy of uh, being on that consideration because after this weekend and after uh, uh, after this stretch of non-conference play, Brett Larson has well, they get Colorado College on the road again, and now instead of having to prove that you can go on the road and win generally, you have to go on the road and win in conference. So it's at least a good tune-up weekend for that job because that's going to be a challenge next weekend against Colorado college. And you can at least build up some momentum for yourselves by playing well against two schools that you probably should end up getting wins against both of them. I'd agree on that. And as we mentioned before in hockey East action, Northeastern plays at Songa center, they should get the, they need to get that win. I think that would be a, an important one to have early in the season. Maine and Connecticut, those are two schools in very similar positions. They're both trying trying to get back to that, or well, in Maine's case, get back, and in Connecticut's case, get to the upper tier of Hockey East. That will be a, a fun game on Friday night, and they're back at it again at the XL Center on Saturday as well. Those are those are two teams that a sweep for either of them would be a bit of a statement. Agreed. Uh, oh, I mean, a, imp- impressive wins for either of them would be uh, would be a nice change of pace from what was a very poor weekend for both of these schools uh, on the last go around. If for UConn, a seven to two loss against the Friars, which it's always a bad time when you get uh when you lose by that convincing of a score and when after uh, about midway through the second period it didn't even feel like you were that close in the game now they did go to troy new york and uh, get a 3-1 victory over rpi so in that way you improve your performance and uh, improve uh, improve and show that you can get a victory but the conference wins for a team in UConn's position, those are the ones that matter the most. And Maine's a program that at the very least, UConn should be competitive with, and they should test Jeremy Swayman repeatedly. Particularly, Maine went to Duluth, which no shame in getting swept by them, but losing 8-2 to two in, their, in their first game of the weekend. 
that they're both teams that want to wash bad tastes out of their mouths from the prior weekend. So that's kind of a wild card game. And I'm not sure what, uh, what I would expect. I think that we'll get a split probably. I think UConn probably wins the, uh, wins the first game. And I think Maine probably takes the second one. If I had to actually put pen to paper and guess what the results will end up being, but you're right. A sweep for either one of them would be a statement of uh, a strong conference start, but I think we'll probably get a split out of it. They're two evenly matched teams in a lot of ways, so I think that would be a good split for either of them. It it just could be a good weekend. And another matchup to watch, Michigan Tech traveling to Wisconsin. These are two very good teams. This could be a lot of fun this weekend there Michigan tech, not ranked Wisconsin number 14, but these are two teams to watch out for and should be a fun matchup at the Cole center. Yeah. Wisconsin has had an interesting schedule. They had the two victories over BC to open up their schedule at home, three, nothing and seven, five. So they can win by playing quality defense and shutting you down. They can win the shootout. They went to Clarkson and lost four two. no shame in that. Uh, Clarkson's a really good program. Then they go up to St. Lawrence and win seven to one over the Skating Saints in a program that St. Lawrence is uh, is uh, a program that's fallen on hard times themselves. But Michigan Tech is an interesting test for them because you know they're the two time reigning champions, and the only thing that they've been able to show so far this year is that it's really difficult to beat Minnesota Duluth. So I'm curious to see what uh, – I, I count them as two, again, mystery box schools. It's the first road trip for Michigan Tech, and it's a return to home after what was an interesting weekend in North Country, as uh, Easterners refer to that trip to Clarkson and St. Lawrence, that that is the North Country going right up to the Canadian border without crossing it. It's just That's a curious matchup. And again, not sure what to make of it at uh, initial glance. Should be a fun weekend. Any other major, any other matchups you're watching this weekend to see what the results will be, to see how it might shake up the, the picture in any of the conferences or nationally? Um, there's an Ohio rivalry between Bowling Green and Ohio State. I, one, want to see how the Buckeyes can bounce from their split and their drop from the number one ranking. But more importantly, I really want to see what Bowling Green can do against uh, against an in-state rival like uh, like Ohio State. Bowling Green's a team that they're like, Mich- they're like Northern Michigan in that they fell just short of the NCAA tournament because of uh, – them being the WCHA, and they have put on a real, real show so far. Uh, Bowling Green so far, four and one, and they're one of those top offensive units that can put a scare into you in a mighty way. So I really want to see how Bowling Green performs against the Buckeyes this weekend in a home-and-home. And And Chris Lynch of InsideHockey.com, what games will you be taking in this weekend? Well, uh... On Thursday, I will be at BC for uh, St. Cloud against the Eagles. Then Friday night, I'm taking a little bit of a break from college hockey. I'm going to cover college football again at BC between 
the Miami Hurricanes and the BC Eagles. Saturday night, I am at Northeastern for the Huskies against, uh, well, the Huskies. And then Sunday, Brown and Vermont are uh, playing a Sunday 5 o'clock game in Providence. I'm going to go down there, and I'm going to see how Brown started off. And also, I want to see if Vermont can carry on with any bit of uh, their upset performance and how they started their season against uh, against uh, against Michigan with a five two win there, and they played Quinnipiac very closely. So uh, so yeah, I'm going to me an auditorium on Sunday to close out my weekend. This has been Puck University. Please follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim Wrights Sports. You can follow Chris on Twitter at CC Lynch Wall. Please, of course, as always, keep your head up and your hits clean. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.